I'm, I'm writing. You know how to write. Without the, without the, without the writing, you have nothing. I'm writing. All right, everybody, welcome back to another fresh baked episode of Home Row. And on today's show, I have a a long time, uh, I don't know if I could say long time and not like elementary, but but a friend that we connected years ago. And here we are now finally recording where we enjoyed a, a great batch of tacos at Torchy's Tacos in Houston. And here we are now with Dr. Mitchell Chase. How are you? Good doctor. Hey, Jeff, man. I'm great. I'm so glad to be on with you. I'm such a fan of your podcast. Dude, it was when I saw that your new book was coming out, I thought, okay, we definitely, and also, I mean, you have not a new, new book, but you, uh, I think the first book you wrote, The Gospel is for Christians. Is it That's right. right. It was recently re-released a second edition in August and this uh, new one uh, that you're talking about uh, released la- uh, earlier this week. So man, it's, it's been back to back good news. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. so fun. So fun. So, so Mitch, for the people out there that don't know who you are, why don't you just tell the listeners out there a little bit about yourself? Sure, man. So my name is Mitch Chase and I live in Louisville, Kentucky. Uh, our family's been here for 10 years and uh, I'm married to Stacy. We've been married 15 years. We have four boys, 11, 9, 7, and 3. And I'm a local pastor at Cosmos Dale Baptist Church here in the city. Um, I get to teach courses for Boyce College and Southern. Um, so, man, I'm, I'm uh, blessed to be in the Word uh, in these different vocations and uh, have a, a privilege to be able to write when I can. Uh, so we're, we're just trucking along in Louisville, man. It's wonderful. Yeah. Now, when you are not um, at, at your church and when you're not teaching the students at Boyce or Southern, what's, what's something that you're doing for fun? You know, it's typically going to be hanging out with my wife, Stacy. We like to we like to binge watch things. And uh, okay. right now we're trying to work through uh, season one of The West Wing. That's Dude, what we're doing right now. Yes. We just started it a couple of weeks ago and we're uh, probably about a month ago. We're in uh, season three now. It's outstanding. That's impressive. That's I'm really enjoying it. I was surprised by how many episodes are in each season. I thought yes. this is going to take me a while. These are these are like twenty something episodes. It reminded me of Twenty Four uh, when that <laughs> show was on. Right. And uh, and but yeah, I'm I'm excited to persevere through it. I've I've enjoyed season one, and I think we'll give the whole thing a go. Yeah. Yeah. We love it. And uh, you're really going to love it. I'd heard so many people talk about it and had other friends that just mentioned it all the time and just really enjoyed the show. And you know, we were kind of in a lull there. Like, what are we going to watch? And I said, well, maybe we should watch West Wing. Let's, let's give it a try. And Man, that was uh, exactly the it. way we thought about it. Yeah. Uh, my wife, Natalie, she got tired of it for a second. She's like, I don't know if I can watch another one. <laughs> and uh, Patrick, I put that on Twitter. I said, y'all pray for my wife. I think she's, you know, going to jump off the West Wing wagon. And Patrick Schreiner wrote back and said, uh, what, does she not want to watch people walk and talk all, all day? <laughs> so funny. Yeah. That is a perfect that, summary of the show. It really is. And I wondered whether um, my wife and I would both be interested in it like together because I don't want to necessarily watch seven seasons of something without her unless I had to. Right. Uh, but, but right now she's hanging with me too. We're both enjoying it. Do you think you would persevere if your wife, like if she backed out of it, would you keep going? Probably not. I don't know. I don't know. Maybe I would like if I were traveling, uh, and then yeah, I'd watch yeah, on yeah. the plane or watch in a hotel room or, or whatever. But if we're at home, like after we get the kids in bed and soccer practice is done and the day's finally That's running right. down, it's like, okay, what are we going to watch together? 
Yeah, that's so true, man. For a while, we were on like UK detective murder mystery series. Oh, yeah. yeah. And so we were we were uh, trying to watch a few of those. And our friends on uh, social media were just pumping West Wing constantly. So we were we kind of gave in because we've it's obviously not a new show, but a beloved one. Right. And uh, I really do see the appeal. It's good. Yeah. Have you watched Luther? on bbc i've not i've not okay that's a good one it's on amazon prime you can watch them all nice. on amazon prime luther idris elba uh, great great detective show a little gory i like but, him. Uh, great great detective show sweet so, so i put that I think, on the list yeah yeah do it i think my podcast has morphed into a binge binge-a-thon uh, recommend your binge on uh, <laughs> so what are we here to talk about we're here to talk about writing right Is that what there you doing? go yeah let's okay. talk about writing i couldn't remember now <laughs> i know you remember this but the, the listeners will love this i've told the story to so many people because it highlights uh how just you make a tiny you know tiny you, you overlook something tiny and it can lead to a catastrophe uh, i was flying into southern for a weekender class and yep. you graciously allowed we're going to allow me to stay at your house you guys were out of town and you mailed me your key you remember all this i do man yeah yeah you mailed me your key and i put it on my key ring and <laughs> i drive my truck to the airport and on a whim i just decided i'm gonna valet my car at the airport like why not let's try this so i valet my car i fly to louisville i take a taxi. I know I get, I get in the airport and then I realize I don't have my keys. I don't have a key to Mitch's house. Oh man. And the reason I was staying at this at your house is because the legacy, the hotel on campus at Southern was full. I'm homeless. What in the world am I going to do? I couldn't. And then I go to the school. I go walk into the legacy. They had just had a cancellation. They had a room available. Yeah, that man. Praise the Lord. It's insane. That was wild. Well, and I wish we had like hidden keys around the yard under a rock or something, and it, we just hadn't. And I felt so relieved that you were <laughs> able to have like a secondary plan just come together for you. That it's was crazy. That man. was stress. That was stressful. It's crazy. <laughs> yeah, it was very very stressful. I remember texting my wife like, "I'm an idiot. I can't believe what just happened. Oh my gosh." Yeah. Well. Nuts. Yeah, but it all worked out. I'm glad. I'm glad it worked out for you, though. And you're right out. now at Southern uh, as a student. Is that correct? I am. Yeah. I I'm just starting the PhD journey. So PhD great. in biblical spirituality. Uh, so great. And my advisor uh, right now is uh, Dr. Donald S. Whitney. Uh, Dr. Whitney. So the one and only. The one and only. Yeah, great man. Right. Great. Great brother. Been a good friend. And, uh, you know, I'm leaning towards studying the spiritual theology of Eugene Peterson. Oh, wow. That, what a worthy pursuit. That yeah. is fantastic. You know, I didn't read him a lot uh, growing up, uh, being hardcore Southern Baptist. It's like, if you weren't Southern Baptist, at least in the circles I was mm -hmm. in when I was growing up, then you were suspect. And so Eugene was like top on the list of suspects. Um, not only because he wasn't um, Southern Baptist, but also because he wrote very poetically um, yeah. and, and also because of the message. Like I remember growing up hearing the message is wicked and the message is um, an affront to God's word and all that stuff. But then, you know, getting to college and even the last five years you start reading Eugene Peterson, you're like, man, this is a blessing. Absolutely. man. I bet you love his writing. Oh. He's, he's so great to read. 
Yeah. So vivid, um, so personal, so powerful. And so I'm going to do something around the, the Christ centered, you know, aspects of his spiritual theology and the, how, how the risen Christ is how we participate, um, in spirituality and, and in true, true piety. So we'll see, it's just starting. So we'll see how it goes. Well, I'm happy for you, man. That's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. Thanks, man. Well, you have released, so you're a writer. Um, you've got a new book out on allegory. Tell us the title. I, I have it yeah. it's right behind my computer, but I can't see it. Yeah. So the full title is 40 questions about typology and allegory. And it's part of the 40 questions series that Kriegel does, uh, edited by Ben Merkel. Yeah. So, so great. I can't wait to talk, to talk more about it, but I'm going to give the listeners before we dive into talking about your book, um, give them a little bit of history. You and I almost co-wrote a book together. Yes, that is very true. This has been a few years ago, but it almost a happened. Years, a few years ago, we had a proposal on uh, Proverbs yes. and how uh, Christ is the center of, of the Proverbs and the wisdom of the Proverbs and organizing the Proverbs. And a major publisher had it and loved yep. it yep. And went to the final round. And how many votes did it miss by? Do you remember? I, my recollection is that it was by one vote. Yeah. That's what and I remember too. Yeah. Yeah. That, that was, that would have been a, a great book that never happened. Yeah. yeah that's one <laughs> it of those. Is, it's strange. <laughs> yeah. It, I, we attribute it to the strange providence of the Lord. It that's never right. did work that's out. That's right. Not yet. Not yet. That, that's right. That's there's still right. time. Until there one of us dies, man. then it's over. <laughs> but there's still time. Yes, that's right. So you got this new book out on typology and allegory, 40 questions about typology and allegory. Um, bro, how, how did this book come to be? So this book, the origin of this book comes chiefly from my own interest in trying to hold the whole Bible together as I preach and teach and study it. And I have uh, been greatly influenced by people like Greg Beal and D.A. Carson uh, in my in close proximity, uh, folks like Jim Hamilton and Tom Schreiner. I did a PhD under Jim Hamilton at Southern Seminary. And these guys have such a robust reading of the canon and an eagerness to follow progressive revelation in its Christological beauty. I, um, I, it, it was just a matter of time before my mind, my heart, my eyes were very shaped by thinking of the Old Testament Christologically. And I was delighted to find out over the years how many different uh, early readers in, in church history, as well as the medieval and reformation period. Um, this is really a position of the great tradition to see Christ in the Old Testament. Um, due to my own passion for this, my um, labors in preaching and teaching with our local church, it has been a desire for me to engage these discussions with with people to see more of Christ in the Old Testament, as I think Jesus would teach his apostles to do, and then his apostles have written down for us their own examples of how to see Christ in the Old Testament. And I think we should imitate their moves and look into the Old Testament and rejoice in the ways it prefigures Jesus. So this book is an attempt to um, enter that field and uh, ask a series of uh, questions over the course of these two subjects. They're controversial subjects, but because they're, they're part of the interpretive history of church uh, tradition, man, these are subjects we need to engage. Even if in the end, believers don't always wind up on the same area of nuance or conclusion, it, it's a, it's, we all need to be at the table 
talking about this stuff. Yes. Yeah. I love it, man. I think it's such a needed, a needed book and a, a needed conversation. I mentioned on a, on a previous episode with uh, JT English about how, you know, growing up in the kind of the Bible college and uh, dispensational circles I was in early on was that origin, of course, was he was looked down upon. And, and when you said that, um, you know, we should imitate these moves. Oh, I heard all the time that, hey, just because uh, the Apostle Paul did it um, or, you know, the prophets did it or Hebrews is doing it, uh, doing typology and allegory, you, you can't do it. Um, and I remember thinking, why not? Like they have the Holy Spirit. Yeah, I'm not writing in error writings, but if they're interpreting the Old Testament that way, why, why can't I interpret you know, different things that way? So help out listeners maybe who, um, before we talk about writing, you know, habits and, and your virtues and stuff as a writer, what, what is typology and allegory and, uh, what, what is it not? Yeah. So the subjects of typology and allegory in, in the book, I argue they're not synonymous, but they are related. Uh, the early church was not making fine distinctions between these two subjects, but I think that enough time has passed over the centuries for us to look in hindsight and be able to recognize that with types, they're looking for these um, embedded Old Testament uh, historical features, whether they're events, people, institutions, offices, even things like the rock Moses struck in Exodus 17. Uh, these are examples of things in the Old Testament which have correspondences or parallels to Christ in his work or in his church. And uh, so there's this new covenant reality disclosed that was more concealed during the Old Testament era. And the unity of the Bible and the providential progressive revelation of God is what makes typological reading reasonable. If there's not a God who has authored scripture and is unfolding a plan across the ages, trying to find, you know, types and figures and, and Christological readings, it, it really would just be the subjective whims of the interpreter. You wouldn't have any reason to ground it in anything commendable. Uh, I think, though, you look at in the New Testament um, examples of how they read the old, and you can, you can see how they're drawing correspondences, and they see how Christ is better than these Old Testament figures or events or people. There's an escalation. Uh, and so a type is this Old Testament event or feature, some sort of uh, character or, or, um, or office that across history has a greater fulfillment and significance because of Christ. And so we would call Old Testament things um, like the even of Passover or the character of Melchizedek, we would call them a type and Christ the anti-type. So I'm trying to, with the subject of typology, help people to see that the Old Testament text is pointing to Jesus because this is what Jesus himself taught and it's what his apostles taught. So I think I'm, I think I'm saying we need to read typologically because we want to agree with Jesus. Yeah. And, and we're saying the way he understood the Old Testament as pointing to himself Yes and amen. Let's read it that way. Now with allegory, um, there this is much more disputed of the two topics. But allegory seeks to see a deeper level of significance within uh, elements of a, of a story that's not necessarily a historical element. It might be um, particular figures or parables or uh, poetry. There are symbols that are at work with allegory. It's finding a deeper significance in the text and um, types 
it, it is important that types are understood to be historical. Allegory can include moral teachings and exhortations. So there's a lot of allegorical readings of uh, Old and New Testament scriptures that you find without, throughout church history. My own position on this is that as readers, both kinds of readings, typological and allegorical, are valuable. And we should try to ground them with textual reasons. I don't want to be in the end imposing whatever I'm thinking on the text without good reasons in the context or the canon uh, to, to make my case. So I think we need to be more cautious with allegorical readings, but I don't want to throw it out altogether either. So this yeah. book uh, is an attempt to introduce readers to these subjects to say, hey, here's an ongoing conversation throughout the great tradition. Let's come up to the table. Let's have this discussion. Let's rejoice that the Bible points to Christ. Yeah. Amen. Amen. And amen. So I'll throw, I'm going to throw out some examples. Okay. Um, let's see. Easy, easy one would be, cause I think Jesus makes the connection for this one for us. So this is why just to help readers see who maybe they're not, uh, our listeners who aren't that familiar with it. Uh, Moses and the people are just, you know, the people are disobeying, um, serpents come in and they're attacking the people. And God tells Moses to make a bronze serpent and put it on a stick and lift it up and tell everybody to look to it and they'll be saved. And the people do it. Um, and so that is a type, correct? That's right. Because, you know, Jesus says, um, I can't remember where exactly. I'm, I know you know exactly where. But Jesus says, just like Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so will the Son of Man be lifted up. Type. Yeah. Yeah, that's right, man. This is a, a classic example of how you look in Numbers 21 where this story appears, and it's not clear that there's anything messianic in that event. There's no like hidden prophecy right there uh, for the reader right. to note in that verse or this verse. But all of a sudden, you do have this event which Jesus picks up on in John 3 and reads it as pointing to what he would do as the raised up deliverer to save people who are perishing. And um, it doesn't mean every element in the narratives parallel. There are differences from the Old Testament to New Testament type to anti-type move. But it does mean that there are significant correspondences and escalation for us to read a story Christologically. And uh, so the greatest thing we can say about Numbers 21 is not just what was in the context of Numbers 21 or even what the readers of the Torah would have read. The best things we can say about Numbers are even beyond that. It's a canonical statement about how these things help us rejoice in Jesus who comes to deliver the perishing. And um, this is Jesus's own um, statement in John 3, which is then followed up by John 3.16, the most famous New Testament yeah. verse there is, about how God sent his son so that we would believe and not perish. And right before that is an example of typological reading. Uh, so I love that a typological reading sets up the most famous Bible verse there is. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Amen. I love it. You know, we need grammatical, uh, historical, literal interpretations of scripture. And we also need, um, as Jen Wilkin has been saying often, I heard her say today on the Knowing Faith podcast, we need literate understandings of scripture, un uh, understanding them as literature and what kind of literature it is and reading the Bible literally and literately. And we need canonical interpretations of scripture. And that's what I love right. so much about what you're, what you're putting forward here with typology and allegory, um, helping us think canonically. And I think the best sermons, and I think the best preachers, they do this without even recognizing it, um, or they recognize it, I'm sure, but 
the people listening don't even recognize it that they're doing all of these movements. Um, That's right. They're making the sausage, and, and the and the people don't even realize that they're not knowing how the sausage is made. Well, I think the hesitation for for Bible readers sometimes is that, hey, are we ignoring the context of this Old Testament story if I start, you know, also talking about Christ at some point? Well, I tell folks that, the, and what I say to my students too is that context is king, but the canon is the king of kings. The canon is the largest context to read any part of the Bible. And so the the most accurate reading of things in the Old Testament is not found by limiting yourself to the Old Testament. That's right. The way the way to see it most clearly and and I think most faithfully is the sweep of the canon. So let's Let's embrace all of that, and uh, as it helps us see earlier scripture, this is something that Jim Hamilton and others uh, so helpfully modeled um, many, many years ago. And I dedicated this book to Jim uh, because I'm I'm uh, deeply impacted by this kind of reading of scripture, and I know uh, he's helped countless others along the same way. Yeah, yeah, Amen, Amen. A giant, a giant in our generation when it comes to biblical theology and, and thinking and and Amen. writing and teaching, for sure. Okay. So guys, go out and pick up uh, uh, Dr. Chase's new book, uh, 40 Questions About Typology and Allegory, and you'll find a link to that in your show notes. So just scroll up there in your podcast app and you'll find a link to go buy his new book as well as um, his other, his actually his first book, The Gospel is for Christians, now uh, revised and, and edited. Um, and you can find that. It's got a great cover and just, I love, I love the title of that book. I, I've used that title it's so many different avenues when I've been teaching just to remind people, Hey, the gospel's for you too. Um, right. The gospel's for Christians. And you, you've written another book as well that I, that I'm recalling was, is it some behold our sovereign God or. I've written a, a book on the sovereignty of God called behold our sovereign God. And I wrote a commentary on the book of Daniel for yes. the crossways ESV expository commentary series. I love it, man. Yeah. So a, yeah. a man, a, a man of many diverse writings, You've, you've got um, popular level, the gospels for Christians and behold our sovereign God, and then commentary writing, and then writing here on typology and allegory. So Mitch, what are your writing, your writing habits like when you, when you're sitting down to work on a project, um, t- take us into that. Yeah. So I think it probably varies from project to project. This um, typology book required an extraordinary amount of research that wasn't necessarily the case when I was writing uh, The Gospels for Christians. And the, the typology allegory book dealt with so many issues in church history and figures. Um, the, the research required a lot of early writing hours. And, and so this particular book, similar to my dissertation uh, for Southern, I found myself writing early in the morning, early in the morning. And I would get up, you know, some 4 a.m.? Sometimes I would wake up feeling rested around four to 5 a.m. And I could just get up and write. I remember doing that years ago. That, um, that would also be followed, though, by sometimes late nights at writing if I, um, if I didn't get any words in. So I wanted to, to try to hammer out something throughout the week. And um, I didn't have a goal of a word count for the book as a whole, like I have to reach this or, or I'm not going to be done. But with the typology book, I wanted to, where, whenever I sat down to write, I wanted to hammer out a thousand words at least. So I felt like I'm just going to make myself uh, work until this. W- that required some prep though. I needed to make sure I could carve out some blocks of time. I don't work well in 15 or 20 minute segments. And I know folks who's, they can, their brains work to where if they've got, you know, 15 minutes on a bus, 
they can just pull up their, their device. They can hammer out some stuff. I, I feel like I need 15 minutes to sort of clear my head and calm down mm. about whatever else I'm thinking of. I, and I need some extended blocks of time. So when I can dedicate two or three hours of, of really nearly uninterrupted space, uh, I can really hammer out some, uh, some, some good pages and, and hopefully at least a thousand words. Yeah. And yeah, that, so and that gives me the momentum. Yeah. Very much kind of like the deep work mentality from, uh, from Cal Newport's book. Yeah. And I can occasionally do like working in a coffee shop if I needed to, preferably I'm here at home in a quiet room in the house, okay. if I can find one. And sometimes <laughs> it's just at the kitchen table where I am now recording this with you, but, uh, or in my home office. Um, but I do most of the writing at home. Yeah. Do you put on noise canceling headphones or you're just going? I, I don't uh, do noise canceling, but I'll put on some classical music um, or or a soundtrack. I've been enjoying the Man of Steel soundtrack recently, okay. and yeah. so I like to I like to write uh, with some light music in the background, and um, and th- that's that's been a good helpful habit. And yeah. I find that helping with sermon prep too, for whatever reason. And uh, this yeah, this absolutely. book had that kind of soundtracks to it. I think Lone Survivor was another one. Um, but yeah, so some of those some of you those Spotify. I don't use Spotify. I use uh, Amazon Music. Amazon Music, okay. Yeah. Say so I have a giant playlist of like three hours of Dude. soundtracks and all, all kinds of stuff that's on Lone do, Survivor. Do you, one. do you like writing with music? I typically am. It keeps me going. So I either do that um, or some jazz. Yeah. Um, uh, also, been using lately some. You can you can search Amazon Music and find these kinds of playlists, but like lo-fi hip hop. So it's very chill, <sighs> instrumental um, drums and just, it's really, really easy. Uh, Ronnie Kurtz at Midwestern seminary, him and I will text each other. Hey, here's this playlist for some lo-fi hip hop and check this out, check this out. Um, nice. but lately I've been, got, I got into after talk, I talked this week to uh, Mason King over at the village, uh, the village church in flower mound over there. And, um, he's leading the Institute program. And we were talking about PhD studies and kind of tips and tricks and stuff like that as he's been going. And he talked about classical music that he's always listening to classical music when he's reading and, and writing and working. And so I did yeah. the same thing, put on a little Vivaldi and get going. That's right, man. I love it. So who's your favorite classical piece? When you, if you're, if you're diving in, like, what are you cranking? Usually I'll put on Mozart. They have yeah. these, uh, sometimes I'll do a YouTube uh, compilation where somebody has put together like six hours of Mozart or something. And I'll pull up that video and just hit play. And okay. I can just enjoy that in the background and I don't focus on anything else. It is a huge writing. difference. I've noticed if, like, from listening to uh, lo-fi hip hop or listening to, you know, the Gladiator soundtrack, which is like very epic um, and then to go and listening to, you know, Bach or whatever. And, uh, the cellos just going, it's like, I do feel smarter listening to cellos. I don't know if I am smarter, but I do feel smarter. Yeah. It feels like when you have epic stuff playing in the background, it's like, all right, maybe the result of this will feel epic. And then I can read over stuff that I've written and I'm thinking, well, you know, the soundtrack was more epic than what I'm reading now, but you know, still it it motivated me. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Like the difference between, you know, listening to kid rock, ba with the ba and listening to, you know, Bach, I just, it's got to do something for your psyche, uh, your soul, I would think. Yeah. Right on. Okay. So when, when you, when you have these, how long did it take you to write this book? Do you remember? So this book, yeah, I was contracted uh, to write it in February of 2018 and it took about a year to get the finished draft. 
Uh, that meant at that point to work with uh, Ben Merkel, who's the most immediate editor for the series. And uh, so he and I exchanged a lot of good feedback about that draft. So the working draft about a year to okay. get to where I needed it to be. Yeah. Were there any, um, any things along the way as you were working on this book that you, you thought about yourself that, okay, this is a good, this was a good discipline for me or writing or things that, you know, you improved upon, upon the way or things you had to change in your writing life, yeah. writing habits. So one of my, one of my habits that I've tried to do, I did this with the, the commentary on Daniel and I did this with the gospels for Christians. I, I tried to write as much as I can on an initial draft without incorporating any secondary sources into footnotes. Mm. I just want to try to get as much on each chapter. There are plenty of chapters in the typology allegory book that have to do with uh, figures throughout church history. And so some of those chapters heavy on secondary sources and some of those paragraphs, uh, well, those chapters obviously couldn't have been completely written ahead of time, but I tried to do as much of what I feel like is coming right out of me onto the right. page and then try to incorporate things afterward. I, I have uh, written things before that have been just a different rhythm where I've kind of written and tried to incorporate and almost like edit entirely as well as uh, insert secondary references all along the way. I feel like that actually ends up being a hindrance for me. Mm. I feel like it slows me down. I feel like it needlessly overcomplicates things. And um, I heard that Spielberg likes to edit films in camera while he's filming. Hmm. And I don't know that that's the best way to write. I, yeah. I feel like getting, or at least for me, I want as much of it out. And that may even be an entire draft from, from my own you know, fingertips before I start incorporating other books. And uh, I don't want to edit in camera, in other words. Right. right. <laughs> I want to do it, after, do it after the fact. <laughs> yeah, I love that. You know, I can be, I can be different depending on, the, depending on the project. I think yeah, if, right. for me, if it's like a longer thing, uh, I'm with you. I'm just going to write and write and write, and then I'll come back and do some editing. If it's a shorter piece, uh, like maybe it's just a blog post for the Gospel Coalition or whatever, yeah. I'll kind of tinker as I go and then build and then build and then done and then barely have to edit it. And then you can just send it off and then let them edit what they need to and then approve it. And then it's out. But yeah, that's interesting. I think that that's a great idea for writing book chapters to just put out all your original thoughts and then go back and, and dump those in. That's good. I dig it. Cool, man. Yeah. That's the, that was the, the momentum that I tried to carry through with the first draft of this book and yeah. uh, it seemed to work well. Yeah. Yeah. The so, editing, you know, was all part of the, the fun too, because once I've kind of thrown up everything onto the, the pages, I need to clean up whatever I've done. And, um, I've, I've really came to, I've really come to appreciate the process and the grueling task of editing that, it, you know, can feel grueling at times, yeah. I suppose, but how needful, uh, that is where, where the, the best of the writing really takes place. Um, I think I undersold the value of editing for a lot of years. And, I, and that may be because my pattern in high school and even into college and some of seminary was just to try to crank out papers by the due date. Right. And uh, I don't think there was a lot of finishing touches and finesse put on these projects. I, I regret that because I, I, I think I undersold the value of careful editing and time. And you need to let things sit and percolate and you need to not look at manuscripts for a while and then come back to it. And you need to let other people look at your stuff. And uh, I think that that whole editing process is something I've come to appreciate more now than ever. Yeah. 
Yeah. yeah. So that's, that's a great word. Really good word. I remember Bible college and yeah, even some of, you know, master's seminary work too. kind of the, okay, here's the paper. When's it due? Great. I'll do it the night before. Um, and then knock it out. What's the word count? Okay, sweet. And yeah, then I can hammer that out in a few hours. Yeah. But you're right. And now going into the PhD world, it's like, oh yeah, that 30 page paper, I need to start working on it like next week. Um, for real, because I realized I had built in writing habits for a lot of years that actually weren't aiming at quality of manuscript. They were right. aimed at fulfilling um, criteria that a syllabus had laid out, but it, it ultimately wasn't improving my writing if I was just trying to do everything yeah. last minute because I had procrastinated. So That's yeah, it, it affects the quality. Yeah. Yeah. I think a great lesson for writers is to unlearn some of these bad habits from yeah, high school and, and college. And, and to develop new, new literary and, and new writing habits for sure. What's, uh, what kind of, what kind of software are you using? So you got, you're sitting down to write. Let's now let's think yeah. about what's on the desk. You've got, uh, you got headphones in, you got some, you got some Beethoven or Mozart, Mozart going, uh, what else is happening in your world? Yeah. So I'm pulling up, um, Microsoft word classic <laughs> and, and I'm, it is, man. It is classic. I have, I've heard you on this podcast talk about the different programs that you use. And, yeah. and I think every time I listen to you mention that, I think I, sh I need to do that. And, um, no, your my, system's my, working. My, well, my go-to is to just open up Microsoft word and go, that's the, that's the thing. And I save everything in Dropbox so that I don't panic with anything, uh, you know, <laughs> lost on my computer so I can pull it up wherever I'm at. But uh, yeah, that's that's what's what's open. And then I've got usually whatever books I need to work with uh, next to me, and uh, Lord willing, a cup of coffee. Right. What kind of coffee that's are you all doing? Keeps is me it, going. It's not Folgers. Dude, fo Colombian Folgers. Are you for almost real? every every day? Almost every day. I'm 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 totally for real. And I know you see listeners can't see Jeff hanging his head right now. Holy Father, shame. we just want to come to <laughs> you and um, pray for for Mitch right now. His taste buds are clearly broken. He needs healing. No. Amen. And, 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 I, and I pray that the Lord will answer that because <laughs> for, for, uh, for these years, I, I would like to say my palate, my coffee palate is wide enough to appreciate all sorts of different coffee. And in our house, man, I, I make just strong cups of okay. Folgers and it, it keeps us all running. I, I'm, I'm content with it for now, but listen, man, I know I can do better. <laughs> hey, you know what? As Paul t tells us in Philippians, to work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Yeah. I, I think you also must work out your own caffeination um, yeah. to avoid fear and trembling. So so whatever that needs to be for you, brother. And well, if Stacey's happy, that's defense. all that matters. The wife is happy and that's good. I, I don't, I wouldn't, you know, put a cup of decaf next to me, you know, it's okay. going to be caffeinated. Uh, so I do have some standards. <laughs> that's good. I did have some decaf tea this morning. Um, actually, oh, okay. I, I haven't had a cup of coffee yet today. Um, How is that possible, Jeff? It's the afternoon. I know I'm, I have my, I have it in that. So I do have a thing of like, it's like an energy vitamin drink. I have that in the morning, a little powder. Okay. And so okay, it's got some that's caffeine helpful. in it. Yeah. And so then yeah, to have something hot, I make some decaf tea so I can sip on that and everybody's sleeping. And so I don't yeah. want to be grinding. So I fresh grind my beans. Um, and so, yeah, so I'm like, I'm gonna See, let everybody sleep. So I'm not grinding beans at five in the morning. This is an art for you, which is very admirable. And uh, you're doing all of that hard work. And I've, you know, I've just scooped some things from the can the, the night before and I'm just hitting the on button. <laughs> 
Uh, yeah. yeah. And I believe that marketing, man, it's good. Yeah. So, so why Colombian? You made a point about those Colombian Folgers. Oh, they yeah. have, well, there's no way that's really yeah. from Colombia. They have other lies on their marketing tin from other countries <laughs> or, or, or what? <laughs> I have never been able to trace the source of whether that's true or false. My, uh, but my wife, Stacy has bought that for years and um, it's got, it's got a, a really great taste for, for our house, man. We're happy I love with it. it. <laughs> I love it, man. You know, there was, I, I, I had asked, I don't think I've ever shared this story on the, on the podcast. Um, but I had asked Tim Challies to do something for either to endorse a book or provide something. I, I can't remember what it was. And Tim wrote back and he said, absolutely. I would love to do it. Um, I only have one stipulation. You have to take a picture of yourself making coffee with Nescafe instant crystals drink it and post it on Twitter and say that you liked it. He said, oh, you wow. do that. And then I'll, I'll endorse your book or I'll, I, I can't remember what, what it was or whatever. And I see said, that makes me think of hotel coffee. That's oh, what that makes me think of. Awful. Like hotel room coffee. Yeah. That's, it, that's not good. Yeah. I think he prefers it. No, man. Oh, yikes. Yeah. No. We need to pray for Tim after this is over. We're yeah. going to pray for Tim and put for real, lift him up, lift him up before, you know, so, uh, we had a very kind church member who brought us over some, um, some pour over materials Oh yeah. and, and they have been, <laughs> you're going to hate this, but they have been sitting under our counter. I'm looking at the cabinet door that they're inside and the, that pour over set is just sitting in there unused. I have never tried it once. I know. See, I'm about to allegorize the situation. <laughs> you yeah, have I, you have hidden there <laughs> these great riches that yeah. have yet to be disclosed to you, if only that you would taste and see and put in a little bit of effort, and you would yeah. find what's been waiting there the whole this whole time that would change. I, I really am forever. convinced. And right now I am taking your word by faith, but I really think it's trustworthy, uh, a trustworthy <laughs> saying because the, this, uh, this pour over stuff has been rumored to be great. And, and so right. this is, I know. Folgers is old covenant. Well, pour over yeah. is the spirit filled life. This is new covenant, heart of stone being yeah. removed, heart of flesh. Oh, is it? I a mean, I feel I feel moved in my soul thinking about that way. We need to take up a Venmo live. Um, <sighs> is it a V60 pour over or a Kalita wave? Do you, do you know what kind of pour over setup I'm not even sure. I'm not even sure. It's been so long since I've looked at it. <laughs> okay. I'm only going to post. I'm pulling a Tim Challies. I will post this podcast that you have to make a cup of pour over, but you can't use folder <laughs> You have to go to you got to you have to go buy a bag of Synergos, um, or uh, what else is in Louisville? Quills, Quills is great. Yeah, they can, they can grind yeah. it for you there. So we'll we'll text, we'll talk, but I I'll post. This I, I like the challenge, man. I can do that. It needs to be done at some point. Now's a good a time as any. Now's a good time. It's a day of reckoning. Yeah, that's day, right. I knew it would come, and it came, and you were the one the Lord used. So thank you. <laughs> day is. <laughs> Well, well, Mitch, I know that you, not only do you have to, you write a lot because of, because of your, your, your scholar, but also you have to read a lot uh, for being a scholar and reading other papers of students. And so what, what piece of writing advice would you give to seminary students, college students, and also to the writer who, you know, is maybe blogging and, and wants to get into writing like, like you've done so, so well now for the years. Um, what, what piece of writing advice would you encourage them with as, as we start wrapping up? 
I mean, I think that every writer needs to have a conviction that I need to put something out into a document or a blog that might not see much traction and maybe is never published on a particular site somewhere, but that's getting me in the rhythms of thinking about words and phrasing. I think through continual writing, we become more aware of the craft as well as reading good writers. And if we can do those things, you know, chew gum and walk at the same time, read good writing and try to practice that, uh, our craft will inevitably improve. Those are really key uh, elements. And I've, I have found, uh, I don't know if this sounds weird or not, but I have found like to motivate me in the momentum I need for a few hours, I'll pick up some books that I've enjoyed reading over the years and I'll read a few paragraphs and it's, it's almost like it sets my mind mm. where I need to go. Like I'll pick up something from Russell Moore uh, and I love Dr. Moore's writing. And, uh, and I mean, after reading a few paragraphs of that, dude, I'm ready to go. I'm ready to write. Uh, or I'll, I'll pop in um, some, a song from Andrew Peterson and just listening to the way he sings and those lyrics, it, um, it, it easily sets me up ready to go. So I, I think that um, reading good stuff, hearing good stuff, trying to practice. I, I also think feedback is more valuable than writers may realize because you uh, there, there is always a reluctance, I suppose, because we're afraid of criticism and we don't want somebody to be like, this is right. terrible or, and, and hopefully that wouldn't be their immediate comment, but we need people to say, this is unclear, or you always are doing sentences like this. You need to vary up structure like this. Having somebody dissect our writing is a real gift. And if we can find folks, uh, whether it's a professor or a peer, uh, someone in our church that has some writing sense about them, they can they can put us light years forward by giving us some honest, constructive feedback. Uh, so I think writers need community, man. When I was writing the typology book, I sent the draft uh, to several friends who I deeply admire. And I, I love their writing. I know that they were savvy on this subject. And I knew they would tell me if I were doing something crazy, or if the writing was unclear. And I, I valued so much what they had to say. And um, that that just helped strengthen the whole thing. You know? Yeah. It's huge. And I suppose uh, some, some basic stuff that I've, I've tried to employ over the years has to do with trying to write as much in the present tense unless the passive simply sounds better. I also, uh, I also think reading, uh, writing rather for the ear so that you, you read back out loud whatever you have put out. And um, I, I, I know this is helpful for preachers because we're doing a lot of talking and it's helpful for writing. Am I am I looking at a cadence or a rhythm in these sentences or paragraphs that, that resonates with me as a writer and a reader? If I'm ignoring how it can sound to the ear, um, I'm probably, I'm probably selling short the, the quality of the paragraph. So, yeah. Great advice. Very, very solid. And of course that's what I expected coming from you. Great, great writer, great scholar, great thinker. So it's great to have you on the show, man. Good to see you. Man, I'm blessed to be here. Thank you so much. Jeff. Yeah. Yeah. Next time I'm in, um, I'm in Louisville. I'll, I'll hit you up. Maybe we can get some coffee. 
I'll mail you a key. Yeah, mail me, mail me a key, <laughs> and uh, I'll eventually mail it back to you. Um, right, dude. I kept forgetting to mail it back to you, but I think you do have it, right? You, I do, I do. Yeah, that's right. You did okay, it. Cool. You, you send it back. You're I good. Send it back to you. Okay. Yeah, man. <laughs> I'll, I'll hit you up next time I'm in town. So, so guys, go and follow there uh, on your show notes. Just scroll up there on your device, and you'll see a link to go buy uh, Mitch's books there on Amazon, especially his new book on allegory and typology. A great resource in a, in a huge, uh, huge theological conversation that we need to have, and not only. Just to have it, but we need to embody it. We need to live it and preach it and and teach it and and, and do it, uh, so we can exalt exalt our the the risen logos, exalt exalt our Lord. And so, Mitch, where should people if uh, they want to keep up with you out there on the interwebs on social media? Where would you direct them? Yeah, so my Twitter handle is probably where I'm most active at Mitchell Chase. Uh, I know I usually introduce myself to to folks as Mitch, but Mitchell Chase is where they'll find me. The Twitter handle Mitch Chase was taken, so at Mitchell Chase, and uh, I, yeah, that's that's where they'll find me. Awesome. Again, thanks for coming on, Mitch. It's great to have you on the show. And as always, everybody, just keep writing. 